Hey, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode. I'm so pumped because today I have a very special way that we're going to be doing this podcast episode, something that I've actually never done before, and I'm actually really excited to be doing it. I am bringing on a very special guest. Her name is Kate Marchbank, and I actually met her through one of my boot camps that we recently hosted in the summer. And she was just an incredible learner, just really eager to get her business moving forward. And just she's just a powerhouse, and I just absolutely love her. Well, anyways, uh, she had recently commented on one of our Instagram posts and asked a question around how do we communicate with our clients. And my lovely social media manager told me this would be a great podcast topic. So I was like, better yet, let's reach out to Kate and see if Kate wants to interview me on my podcast about the dying questions that she has to help her move her business forward. And so that is what this episode is going to be about today. I'm going to have Kate Marchbank actually interviewing me. So essentially, she's getting a free coaching call today to discuss some of those burning questions that are going to help her to really step her game up. And so a couple of things that we're going to be talking about today, remember, this is a very casual conversation. So we naturally allowed it to just go exactly wherever it needs to go based off the conversation. But a couple of key things that we covered today in this episode is communication. So I actually break down my exact way we communicate with clients, what that process looks like. She actually picked my brain on requests, like how we're using content snare, what that looks like during the cleanup and onboarding process. She even picked my brain about some Asana task stuff, like how to actually manage the work. Prior to this conversation, she was using Asana to actually communicate and assign tasks to clients, but is now reconsidering after this call. We're going to talk about the diagnostic review process, why I don't charge for them and why it fits my process, but it might not fit yours. And that actual process of how we're actually cutting down the time that we spend on it. Then we're also going to talk about niching down. So she had a lot of questions around how to determine that niche. And then lastly, we're going to cover consulting. So a lot of people have this desire and want to be able to consult and to advise their clients. But what does that really mean? What are the fees that I actually charge for that? We're going to go through a lot of great stuff today. There's so many side conversations that happen. Highly recommend listening to this. And if you have any questions or any of the tech that we do mention, don't worry, there will be a link below this episode that you can go ahead and click on, which will include all of my lovely tech that I use in my firm and also any of the additional links that we mentioned. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. Do you ever feel like if you had actionable systems in place that it can actually take your practice to the next level? Can you imagine the freedom you'd gain from finally getting everything out of your head and into a system that can help you move things on autopilot? Do you ever feel like you want to hire help for your practice, but you just don't know where to start? Trust me, I get it. And you're not alone, but it doesn't have to be this way. You're kick-ass at doing the bookkeeping and accounting work. There's no doubt about that. But you struggle to maintain the systems and operations of your business. Am I right? But don't worry. That's where I come in, the Workflow Queen. I'm going to guide you on how to implement tech, systems, and automation in your practice so you can scale bigger, hire better, and break through to the next level. I can't wait to support you here on the Conquering Workflows and Systems for Bookkeepers and Accountants podcast with your host, Alyssa Lang. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Conquering Workflows and Systems for Bookkeepers and Accountants podcast with your host here, Alyssa Lang. I'm so pumped because I say that every time at the beginning, and I'm pretty sure I even say that at the very beginning of each and every one of these, but I am actually really excited because this is the first time we're doing a very unique episode here. I have someone that I'm just like obsessed with. I know the past couple of months we got the chance to connect, and she's just my vibe and just great people, and I'm so excited because today... I was a bit inspired actually by my social media manager. She slacked me and she slacked a comment that was made by Kate, who's going to be our guest here today. It said something around, Kate had a question around Slack. How do I communicate with clients? 
And my social media manager actually pinged me on Slack and said, hey, this would be a great episode for a podcast. And I was like, even better. Let me reach out to Kate and see if Kate wants to ask me questions on the podcast and pretty much use this as like a free coaching call space. And for any of you listening, you might also be wondering a lot of these same questions that Kate actually has as well. So without further ado, thank you so much, Kate, for being here today. And please feel free to introduce yourself. Let everyone know about all the magic that you are. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And the admiration is mutual. I am equally obsessed with Alyssa. <laughs> I found her on the internet and now I'm just like a weird stalker. My name is Kate Marchbank. I'm the owner of Blix Bookkeeping. I literally launched in July. So it's been like three months. And I like all things sort of workflow systems. And so when I found you, I just was like, I need it. I need it all. I generally work with creatives. I'm an actor. I like to say I'm an actor by day and a bookkeeper by night, but we're striking here in LA. So there's not that much work. So I'm also a wife and I have two kids. So I have to have some sort of steady income. So I've been a bookkeeper on and off for 15 years. I fell into it like everyone else in the world. No Mm -hmm. one like sets out to be a bookkeeper. And (laughs) yeah, I, here I am. Look at you go. I'm like, just really curious. Like where did acting come into play? And what have you ever like, I'm just, if you want to share, like, where have you ever done, have you ever done any special roles that maybe people might recognize? Yeah. So I joined the union before I got married. So my name is Kate Mines on there. And, you know, if you, you could look me up on IMDb, cool. if you could. but the thing that you're, if I'm looking at the demographic of your audience, Grey's Anatomy. So I'm, a, I'm one of the nurses on Grey's Anatomy. I'm Nurse Gloria on Grey's Anatomy. I've done like 20 episodes of that. Yeah, I'm trying. I just did a couple episodes of Barry on HBO. I don't know. A bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then commercials, a bunch of commercial stuff. And yeah, Kate Mines, you can look me up there. But yeah, it's so funny because you're such an interest. You have an interesting background, which is perfect of why you chose the niche that you did. And so I can only imagine that like selecting the creative niche. I think when we were talking one time, I was talking about lean into it. You were already leaning into it. But just knowing that like really lean into something that you already have experience with and you're already probably connected in that industry. Like what's the point of not going that route? Right. Well, and I already speak the language. A lot of people like when you, you know what I mean? If you're not in the industry, people are like, well, can I like write off my manicure? And no, you can't. So, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of really special things for acting and performers that I just know really well because I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, 100%. I totally get that. Well, I'm going to leave this episode, which we are actually flipping it today, which is not normal um, <laughs> for me to have someone else asking me all the questions. But I want to just keep this super casual. I know you've got a, lo- a lovely list on your phone. So let's just start with there. Um, I know that you wanted to talk originally. It was something, was it around Slack, right? It was something around communication. How do we communicate with our clients that you originally asked this question? Yeah, I think so. Like I've come up with so many things since then. I can't remember. But yeah, that is a question I have in terms of like, You know, because I feel like there's Google Docs and emails and Slacks and Asana tasks and like it's not streamlined at all. And so I wanted to talk to you about and probably content snare as well. Like, how do you do that? How do you keep it all? Yeah, together and not lose my mind. Yeah, (laughs) it's a real question. Yeah, Um, that's the real question. (laughs) So what is your current process? Like, what are you currently doing for the communication side of things? To be honest with you, it's kind of different with each client, but I'll, mm-hmm. I have been doing more putting an Asana task in and then just saying like tasks for, you know, October 3rd and then like compiling tasks for the week or the day, especially like someone who's on an expedited cleanup where I have a lot of stuff and I need answers quickly because mm-hmm. of the October 16th deadline. But again, it's not totally streamlined and I am finding that especially with onboarding, I like, I... I am using Dubsado and I ask for things and I think I have it all. And then I get there and I'm like, I'm missing this thing. And 
uh, yeah, it's just sort of like all over the place. And I'm I am organized, but like maybe too organized pieces. I mean, think about it. Like you just started back in July. Yeah. And you're starting to onboard your clients. Like it's going to be really overwhelming. Like I'm just was working on our onboarding right before we got on this call um, because we just signed a new client today. And so I'm making sure our zaps are going through and all these different things. And even I'm updating ours. So just give yourself grace that it's going to feel like chaos until it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Force advice I can never give, but it's the truth. So as far as the communication, you said that you're assigning these tasks in Asana. Hey, listener, just wanted to quickly interrupt this episode today to ask you, have you been trying to find a better solution to actually taking payments from your clients? Then boy, do I have a solution for you. One of my absolute favorite pieces of tech is Pluto. Pluto is such a game changer in your business. It really helps you to allow you to be able to take payments easily from your clients through ACH. They also take credit card as well, but they have so many different options. One of the big perks to using something like Pluto over something like QBO and all the other options that we have out there for invoicing is because it is way more cost effective and it has saved me thousands of dollars on those fees that we get taken out for invoicing our clients. So we no longer use QuickBooks Online in order to invoice our own clients. We now have migrated over to Pluto. And if you want to learn more about Pluto and check it out, it is amazing. They make such a seamless process for our clients to be able to add the ACH information, to ask them to authorize us to be able to take the automatic payment every single month and saves us a ton of money in fees. You're just going to go to workflowqueen.com backslash Pluto. That's workflowqueen.com backslash Pluto to learn more. Yeah. So I sign them in Asana and then I make them an assignee. So then they get an email and they can reply directly to the email and it comes back to Asana, which then kicks over to Slack. Gotcha. Cool, cool. So I'll give you like what we do, if this makes any sense, because there are options to do people like clients inside of Asana, which is great. But I think ultimately you have to find a way that's streamlined for both you and the client. And for us, it's as simple as Gmail. And I know a lot of people probably aren't hoping for that answer because I just was talking to someone today about some of the reasons why you probably wouldn't want to use Slack to have your clients in it. And the reason why is because Slack kind of acts as like an IM messenger. And because it's kind of like a like an instant chat messenger, the clients expect that you're going to respond ASAP. And so because of that, you're kind of putting yourself like backed into a corner where the client's going to think that you you need to respond 24-7. Imagine if you had someone else's Slack that you were in and they weren't responding like right away or within the first day and you're, you have a 24 to 48 hour like turnaround. That's going to feel like a lack of client experience. For some odd reason, people don't expect an email to be written right away. And right. I think that that's what's really helpful. So we use a good old Gmail. We use a shared inbox and we use it like support at, which is for us, it's support at magneticbookkeeping.com. And then each of our team members has access to that. So that way, like it's not lost in a project because the reason why I stopped doing the communication in Asana was because of the fact that in Asana, there is not really some clear transparency on their responses without having to find the thread, find the thing and go yeah. these different places. And that's probably why you're feeling really scattered. And I teach that in like my program kickoff with Asana of how to use messaging. But at the same time, like I've transitioned that out of the years because it's just messy, but that's external communication is Gmail. Internal communication is Slack. And so we don't email each other on the team. We don't talk about anything that's outside. Well, we do talk about stuff that's outside of work, like life stuff, but we have channels dedicated to each client, but the clients are not added to them. They're just conversations around the team. And that's kind of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't let my clients in Slack. Definitely. I only let them in Asana, but you're right. So when the client responds right now, I have to create a follow-up task with their response in it. So it feels like extra work. The thing about Gmail is just like, especially when you're doing like a big cleanup, you ask 
a bunch of questions and a lot of it's like, hey, go to this, like ask me, ask my accountant work like spreadsheet that I have over on the Google Drive. And then something always gets lost. And I think some of it's just going to be like, as I do it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Content center is a solution for that. So for us, we kind of have like a rule of thumb. The way that we handle cleanups is, well, first they get their first onboarding content snare request. So we actually have an automation set up that when they sign their contract, we have very similar tech stack. So anyone listening, uh, just so you know, if you want to know my tech stack, which I get this question a lot, I will drop a link in the chat. You can pretty much go to workflowqueen.com backslash tech dash stack. And that will list out everything that we're talking about here and which one I pay for and which one's free. So we have similar tech stacks, right? So you have Dubsado, which is the proposal. Same thing for us. The only thing that we do and that what we stop it as at is the client signs the contract, uh, approves the proposal and pays the first invoice. They receive one follow-up email after they've signed their proposal and their contract and they paid their first invoice. That one is the welcome, here's what to expect email. That email will say like two or three different things. It'll say like, it's automated. So it'll say, uh, you should receive within the next 24 to 48 hours, two different emails. One from Pluto, which is going to be your ACH authorization form. And then the second one is going to be a second email you're going to receive is from content snare, which is where we're going to ask you your questions that we need in order to onboard you. I think there's also now, I think we recently did this and this is inspired by Brooke Swan. Uh, we recently added at the bottom, like if you need support or you need help, please schedule your onboarding call for anybody who gets stuck or they're just super busy. Um, from there, it pushes them into an automation that is, it creates a draft inside of content snare when we do the automation that will send them over a clean, an onboarding questionnaire. That's like, hey, you know, when did you start your business? When was the last time you, you filed? Just, you know, give us access to this or that. The client can actually comment back and forth with us on that actual onboarding request. And this comes in handy when someone's like, I don't know what tax return this is. Like, what part do you need? We can actually comment back. And so it keeps it and it comments back within an email. And all they have to do is click a hyperlink that takes them right back to it. So at least it's organized and they're not having to like find the app, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Can they not yeah. go to the next step until they finish that first step? Yeah. So they have like, I believe the questionnaire, I want to say has anywhere from like 25 to 30 questions total, but it's co- the way that content center is built. And then one reason I really like them is that based off your responses will trigger off different questions. Yeah. So do you have payroll? No, I'm not going to ask you five other questions. And I think that's where a lot of the other people's you know, forms are a little bit overwhelming and exhausting. Not all questions are relevant. So once they're done and they do the onboarding, we obviously take two weeks to do our onboarding. By that time they're done, when we get to the cleanup side of things, and even if this is like an urgent cleanup, we will find that we will have questions along the way. But our rule of thumb is that we do the cleanup up until the point where we've done everything we can with all the data that we have, right? Because at in the onboarding, we should have already gotten their bank feeds connected. Like we can now start the bulk of the work. When we get to a point where we can no longer move forward, we've already reconciled everything. Everything's pretty much ready to go. But now we have those questions. We send out another content snare request and it's a cleanup content snare request. And it has like the team members building up on it as we're doing the cleanup. And then what happens is we send it off to the client. The client will respond. We'll get all the data that we need. We'll go update QBO with the last of everything. If some of the data that they gave to us also is going to require us to fix some things and then maybe have some follow-up questions. We try our best to only send two cleanup requests throughout mm-hmm. the whole entire cleanup process. Yeah. That's my problem is that I'm sending like 50 emails and I know I'm annoying the clients. So what we do in the cleanup part of things is at the very end, we usually typically try to send two. Sometimes we only need one, but if in the case we do, we just have a rule on the team, like don't bombard the client with emails. Like let's just get it all compiled. So it makes it really easy for the clients to submit or ask questions. 
And that's kind of how we handle it. And like I said, they can comment directly on the content snare request. And usually in the request, we include a Loom video of like how to use this like requesting function. Like so, because people just don't understand sometimes and that's okay as long as we guide them, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, I use Loom videos like all day, every day. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I use them inside of my Upwork like application. I mean, I use them for everything. Okay, okay. Can I ask another question? You can ask as this girl, this is your show. Okay. Okay. They're kind of just all over the place, but I want to just sort of like, okay. So you said on one, I think it was probably one of your podcasts, but so inside of Asana, I have a project, like, let's say my client is called XYZ. So I have like XYZ, like diagnostic review and then XY. And then it, when I'm done with that, I close it out and do XYZ onboarding, close it out, XYZ cleanup. Cause you said you create a different project. Yep. And then I just carry over the like client content card that has contact mm -hmm. card that you had talked about that has like their scope of work on it and their, yep. just their contact info and everything. But then I have like all of these different Asana projects in the same name. Is that, is that what you're doing or do you just create one client and then add tasks to it? So how we do it is it's actually during the automation that we set up during onboarding. So no matter what they sign on for, because most likely almost every client you ever, ever sign will need a catch-up or cleanup. Absolutely. The catch-up is if brand new file just started their business today, they'd still need something, right? So Your what name. we do is we have the automation set up the onboarding project, the cleanup project, and then we also have it set up the bookkeeping project. The bookkeeping project is not yet set up like because we can't tell the template like I wish, I mean, I'm sure that there is a way I can figure this out, but it just is way too much complication. I'm not going to try, try to have this thing say, oh, how frequent is the volume of work? We do that at the end of the cleanup because then we really know, like, understand the client. So it triggers off three different projects, onboarding, cleanup, and then the actual maintenance of, but none of the tasks are assigned in either the cleanup one or none of the tasks are assigned or in the bookkeeping one. Because one, we don't know what bookkeeper is going to take it over depending on capacity. Like maybe we hired a new team member. We don't want to auto like assign those if we don't yeah. know who that person's going to be. But the onboarding is pre-set for two weeks and it's already set to who on the team is actually going to be doing it. And that is set in stone. So you just have one person doing onboarding? No. So technically it's me and one other person. And the only reason I'm involved in it right now is because I want to make sure everything's recorded. So when I was telling you I was doing some stuff before this, yeah. I recorded two extra steps in our onboarding for the assistant. Her name is Kylie, who's going to go in and she's going to make sure it's done the next time around. But she's going through an approval with me She'll go in and test the tasks and then get the approval before it's finalized just to make sure that I got them the right information. And we're getting the right outcome. So you have the task set to to be due two weeks from the day it, it is created. Yes. Yeah, so inside of Asana, if you have the premium version of Asana, yeah. um, you can create what's called templates that live within Asana. So the way yeah. that I teach Asana is on the free version, which there's a workaround where you could have a project that you just call template. With Zapier, unfortunately, it it, it can I know it's so annoying. Me. I do. It's I, so it, annoying. I know it'll only do it if you pay for the template. I'm yep. like right there. Just yeah. Well, the, the funny part is the workaround to that is that you would have to create like you would have like a 70 step zap where essentially you would be like create project, then add this task, then add this task. We're like, but then if you ever changed your process, yep. you have to go into the zap to set it up and also inside of Asana. So right. The premium version just allows that. But if not, you would just have a simple zap that would say something like when the client has signed the proposal in Dubsado, then create three tasks and or one task in Asana with three different subtasks, set up onboarding project, set up this, yeah. set up that. Simple, easy, but for us, it's just automated. So there's work right, yeah, there. Then you have to like around. duplicate it and then you have to change the name and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I yeah. use 
I'm also, I think maybe going away from Dubsado because I think I customize my, whatever. I won a free year of Dubsado and it's fine, but I've been using this thing called Anchor. Have you heard yeah. of it? Yeah, we so, have a, yeah. several breakthrough students who use Anchor. Oh, I love it so much because yeah. I can edit right in the box. So like, and it's $5. So if I charge $10,000 or $100, it sounds yep. like I'm like doing a promo for them. I'm not. I just really like them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then you already answered that question about internal. I just want to know who your photographer is because I live close to you. And this is uh, probably- I love her so much. She's actually in San Diego. So she's local to the both of us. Her name is Kylie Shea Photography. S-H-A-I. I actually did a podcast interview with her. So I will drop her info for anyone interested. But yes, if you've ever seen my brand photos, they're like freaking everywhere. And we've been using the same one since 2021. I've been using the same photos. Yeah. Because what's the point? Like, I just don't feel like doing it. My hair's changed, but like, I'm also going to go back to red eventually. But she's a vibe. Like, you would totally Yeah. Because I, you know, because I'm an actor. So I take headshots yep. all the time, which I actually, I kind of hate, to be honest with you. But but yeah, I would kind of like somebody who's not an actor. Because I'm not trying to have an actor vibe. Okay, cool. Okay. I did a conversation with James yep. Rose from Content yep. Center. So when you... Let's say you're doing a cleanup. So you do like while you're doing it, you just compile a list and put everything in the content snare and then at the end, send it. Yeah, pretty much. So what what the rule of thumb is at the very bottom, top of the project for cleanups, it says something like set up content snare requests for cleanup. And so that could be an assistant where it can, they can go in and just set up the request. They just rename it with the client's name, attach it to a client. And all we do is save it as draft. We don't put a due date. It will automatically like require us to put a due date, but we just put like it far into the future and put save as draft. The reason why is because while someone's doing the cleanup, they typically will like have their content snare up and like compiling, you know, the questions that they have. So that way they're not slipping through the, the cracks. And then we just keep saving it as draft until the moment where we're like, okay, we've reconciled. We've done everything that we can on our end. Now I need some stuff from them. However, if there's a simple like break in the connection on the bank feed, then of course, we're just going to email the client because we don't want right. to send them a content snare request about that. There's certain rules of when we reach out to the clients and when we don't. Yeah. And you don't put, you don't duplicate those tasks into Asana. It's like in those cases, you just see them all in content snare. Yeah, pretty much. So you mean like, I guess I might need some clarity on your question. So is your question like the things that we need from them? Are we also adding them as tasks to be able to check off that we've received them? Not even just that you receive them, but you need to do them. Yes. Like. So our rule of thumb is like when someone fills out a content snare request, the client can go in and like complete the request, right? So each and every single question or request or the thing that we need from them, that's it within one request. Say there's 10 things. When someone answers something, we have the ability as they're answering to go in and say approve or disapprove. Like for just in case they uploaded the wrong statement or the wrong thing. So we will approve it. And then at the very bottom, once they're done filling everything out, the button at the very bottom will not allow them to click it until they've answered every question, whether it's been approved or disapproved. The bottom, it'll say complete request. They'll hit that button, but it doesn't close it out on our end. So what we do is like we receive notifications like the team does whenever something's done or they just go into content snare daily just to see if anything's been completed. When they do, it's technically completed, but not yet closed out. And so completed means that the client's done their part. They're no longer going to receive annoying emails from us, like following up with them. But what our team does is go in, approve or, or disapprove, whatever it is. Once they approve it, we then take action on it. You can leave the content snare open. We just don't archive it or we don't like fully complete it unless the action has been taken by the bookkeeper to do the things that we received. Got and it. that kind of acts as our checklist that we've taken that info and did something with it. So do you have something in your like, you know how you have the thing of daily tasks with the subtasks? Mm -hmm. Is one of those just like check content snare? 
Yeah, they can be. I don't have one on mine, but yes, it can be. Because we also have settings inside of Content Snare that give emails to our team members that like, hey, this client has finished up this. Right. And it's not a task because it's just a notification to them. We could make it into a task. There could be a zap for that. But I don't know. I just don't really see a point in doing that for me unless like, I'll give you an example. Let's just say in the cleanup, we, I don't know, found a loan, right? We found a loan because a lot of our clients like, oh, I don't have yeah. a loan. And then you get in there, yeah. oh, I have 15 of them. So they go in, right? And they have this loan. Well, maybe my request is like, hey, can I receive the loan statements for X, Y, Z? You could, if you want to, if you want to hold yourself accountable and make sure that your team is too, to maybe create a task inside the Asana project that says reconcile loan and maybe make a note inside the description saying, we're just waiting on this from the clients. That way you remember to do it after you receive it. But that's really up to you. We just don't do that. It's just not what makes sense to me. Right. Or I could add like for myself, I might add that into the tasks for the monthly. Cause like, as I'm going, you know, everyone's monthly is different. So like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then and that's a, one more thing about that. Cause you were talking yeah. about monthly. I believe that we also have a draft uh, content set request that gets created upon someone signing that's for their monthly requests. Every single client is assigned a template inside of content snare only for only for the monthly maintenance we use a just generic template for the qbo cleanup tasks and a generic one for regular onboarding but the ones that we build like as we're doing the onboarding we create the monthly request for that specific client as the person at the end of their cleanup they actually go into that monthly maintenance cleanup task for that specific client and they update their specific template with any things that they found along the way so for example if we didn't know there was a loan now we do Obviously, we're going to have to request that every single month in the future when we're done with the cleanup. So we're proactively also building out the requests for the future because we know we're going to ask for those things. Yeah, it's kind of nice that you're asked, like, because I just have these things in Asana and then I have to. Yeah. Okay. Then my other question is, okay, so are you not getting view only access and just downloading the statements yourself? You're having the client do it for you? It depends. There's some banks that like we just onboarded someone who's Navy Federal and they just can't get us access like we need to. We also had a client whose bank just recently changed from Bank of the West to BMO and BMO makes them pay for an additional user. And so I was like, don't worry if you don't want to pay, it's totally fine. Just you're going to have to send it to us and it's going to be a pain. Yeah. So in the content snare request, they will, we will have it listed there. So we have like a database and notion that tells us what accounts the clients have not like their banking details, but just like high level, like what accounts they have and then what access we have, whether it's us, the client, or there's no access at all. Like the client means like maybe they shared passwords, which we don't recommend, but sometimes it does happen. But this allows us to see transparency of what accounts we have access to that we can actually do it ourselves. And then built into the content snare request is only this statement request of the accounts we don't have access to. Great. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause I have like, I have a client that does, she has she basically has three companies and she does prop something sort of like profit first. And so she has 13 accounts now, mm, yep. like 70% of those are at zero at all times. Cause they're just being transferred. But I'm like, should I be having her download those statements? <laughs> but it's yeah. not that big of a deal. Just like one click, but yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about like when to like hire and outsource things. Cause I, I'm like at that cusp where like I could take more clients, right? But I don't have the like SOPs and stuff set up to like, I guess I could do it as I train. I don't know. I need to, I don't know. I, I need to take your a kickoff with Asana and I'm like dying to do breakthrough as you know, um, <laughs> which I might just ignore your advice and do it anyway. Cause I am running into bottlenecks. Cause I'm just yeah. like, I'm getting far enough along now where I'm like, I just don't even know where to start with hiring. I also live in California. So I know that there's all these like rules about 1099 versus W2 and like, yep. 
I don't know if I should hire a VA to do all the like little tasks or if I should start with a bookkeeper. And I know it's like different, but I'm up against that. Like I need to spend money to make money kind of situation. Yeah, 100%. So my first question is, are you doing or do you want to do some sort of capacity planning in the future? What that means, if you don't understand what that kind of means is when you bring on a new team member or even for yourself, like tell yourself, like whether it's out loud or write it down somewhere of what your bare minimum that you want to work every week or what is your your maximum that you're just like, when I hit this point, I could just no longer do it, right? So maybe that might be 10 hours. I'll give Serena, I always give her as a great example for the same question. For her, it was after two clients, she decided to hire on someone, but because her kids were her like priority and some people not to say that other people, their kids aren't their priority. But what I mean is she really valued other things that maybe other people don't and that they, she didn't want to work as much. So like when she hit two clients, she immediately hired and it was probably only for a couple hours. So I would get really clear on like, what's your capacity, your max and your minimum. Um, And for future team members also put a max and a minimum on them. So ask them, what do you prefer? Not just what you put in your job description, but ask them, like, do you prefer, you know, minimum, how many hours do you need to work every week to like be happy and survive? You know, maybe I'll use Kylie, one of my uh, bookkeepers. I think hers was 10 hours, max is 15, which I'm okay with. That's okay. But it gives me a range of if we're only at 10 hours, I know that I still have five hours of bookkeeping work that I can give to her before maybe we are going to hit our cap where we now need to hire. So look at what you want and then also really align with your goals. Like I said, Serena is always my greatest example. Me, it took me a longer time to hire because I always wanted to just do it myself and I'm no longer like that anymore. I just would rather not do the work at all. So just getting really clear, if you're already feeling really stressed out and you're feeling really overwhelmed, then maybe someone like five hours a week or even five hours like a month can go a really long way to support you. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, I I, because I I mean, I have two little kids under five, so I can only work eight to two because I have to do preschool pickup. But I don't know. And right now I'm working five days a week. And if I'm being honest, I do log into my computer at night sometimes, which I would like to not do because I feel like there's sometimes we're like, oh, I have so much work. And then there's days where I'm like, oh, I finished everything and I have not that much to do. Yeah. I mean, I always have things to do like. Yeah classes. Of course. course. There's Um, always extra things that we can be doing, but we don't have time to get to because we're so stuck in doing. Right. Or I'm like wasting time working on the, like in the business or on whatever it is, like doing, (laughs) like doing a zap or like whatever. Should I just be paying a flat rate of like, just get this work done and I'll pay you a flat rate. Or some people pay a percentage, like let's say the client pays me a thousand dollars and I just give them whatever, $400 of that thousand. Like, how do you, how do you deal with it? I've actually done all methods, but over the years, I've actually learned more and more about like HR and everything that I had to learn to like be hiring the right people and making the right decisions. So before, when I had my very first firm, I used to do hourly. I think the account manager was hourly. And then I did bookkeepers were percent and the percent was not like percent at the uh, top of the line. We're talking about like bottom. So like if the client is paying you a thousand, you need to also take into account like how much are you paying for the subscription? If you are yeah. like, there's not just like QBO, let's just say QBO is a hundred, right? Let's just say you're paying for Zenix or Keeper. Then yep. that's another hundred. Don't, if people listening, it is not actually a hundred dollars, but we're just, no, easy it's $7. <laughs> easy, easy figures. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, let's just say it's a hundred dollars for QBO, a hundred dollars for Zenix every month and maybe a hundred dollars for HubDoc. So that's a thousand dollars you're bringing in minus the 300. So you're really profiting just from that level, $70 or $700, right? I hope yeah. that was good math here. That was- um, <laughs> So net income, right? And then what you need to do is then determine what percentage feels good for you to give to the bookkeeper. 
Where this creates complication and why I've backed away from that, well, one, you need to check with your state. California is already crazy as it is. You need to check if that's even okay for you to pay like that because you might even have like a, you have to pay them by a certain hour and then you can also do that. So just be mindful, anyone listening, please do your research with an HR, HR consultant. I used to do, I think it was 30% or 40% of the bottom line would be what we would give the team member. So from $700, I'm not going to try to do math of 30%. I'll do it on my <laughs> but phone. But you get one. the gist. Yeah. Good old phone. We'll just have to take that one out because I will embarrass myself here. <laughs> $210. Yep. $210. So the bookkeeper essentially would make $210. That way, like as the software subscriptions increase, because they will over time, at least the percentage of the bookkeeper, it might go down. But this is also a great way to increase rates. The problem is, and why I pulled away from this is that when you start to hire account managers, it's like, what percent do they get? Yeah. Like they're doing the high level overview. Um, so for me, I would actually prefer on the team. And I get a lot of people's different perspective is like, it allows them to create more efficiency because then like they can work less and still make the same amount of money and be able to take on more clients. I get that, but I don't know. I've just shied away from it. And also HR rules. I'm in California too, as you know, yeah. and I, all my bookkeepers in California are hired as employees. Like I have no choice, so I can't really go that route. And so you might have to consider that too. Yeah. What was the name of that? You talked about this on either. I can't remember where you told me about it, but the HR it's called like HR guy or something. Uh, YHR. Yep. Y. YHR. So that's W H Y and that's HR. Yeah. I was introduced to them by another bookkeeper. And I use them for quite some time. And then we just no longer need them at this moment, but I can call them at any time and like have conversations with him yeah. around specifics. And then always getting someone maybe in your state. I have a connection for California. I just don't know their name, but Brooke Swan's got the connection. So if you ever need to talk to someone. Oh, right. Brooke is in California. Too. She's in like yep. Riverside. Right? Uh, yeah. Temecula. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm equally obsessed with Brooke if you're listening. Okay. <laughs> okay. I wanted to talk a little bit about the diagnostic reviews. So I do... I moved over to just doing a Loom video and I just like share my screen and I'm like, here's your, you know, yep. here's your chart of accounts and here's your balance sheet. And it's weird because you have three loans on here, but none of them are on the balance sheet or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I say it in a nicer way. Well, <laughs> I hope I do. And I'm, and you had sort of said like, don't give it all away. And I'm just wondering, like, can you talk a little bit about your diagnostic review process? And I know like Serena charges and you don't. And like, mm -hmm. if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So first piece is, I believe that we were doing a, a call for the power bootcamp, I believe is when you brought up this thing and you were originally like documenting out every part of the diagnostic, right? Is that what you brought up to the call? I think you- Yeah, it was so it tedious. I was spending, I was yeah. spending so much time and it was like a three page Google doc. Yep. And they're probably not even looking at it. Then they probably weren't. I think it was me and Brooke. We were on the coaching call for that specific boot camp, And I think we both were like, yeah, we just do Loom video. We were, we're both the same. We just do Loom video overviews oh it because was it gives them like, they can talk out loud. They can hear like our expertise and stuff. So it makes life easy. So anybody who's doing like documented, I do have to preface, depending on if you're paying me to do a diagnostic and you're not paying me, it's going to determine how much detail you're going to get. So when I say don't give it all the way, it means essentially like your diagnostic is not you actually doing the work. You're just pointing out your diagnostic is meant to point out every, like not every issue, but like high level, the issues. Cause the client sometimes doesn't care when I say like, don't give it all away. means like, don't tell them you're going to have to fix this one here to, to connect this deposit here. So that's what I kind of mean is like, uh, that's right. what they hire you for the that's diagnostic. I will tell them everything that's wrong. Like if I wanted to, but like, sometimes there's just unnecessary stuff I need to cover. It's mostly high level. Right. So, my rule of thumb is I believe that what we do is we start off on the overview tab, or maybe it's the banking tab. I can't remember what it's called. 
in QBO, I know, I think you might use zero, but essentially wherever it says like the high level reconciliations, what's been reconciled, the, the yeah. bank balance, and then also the QBO balance. That way we can say like, this is really interesting because we see three different credit cards that are connected that don't actually have any transactions or anything. So we need to clean this up. Then we move into the PL. Then we move into the balance sheet. So we kind of just go in that order. And then if we need to, we go through inventory. If we have to, we go through like the AR stuff, but it's just high level of like just the things that we see. That's via Loom video. And so when we send the proposal in Dubsado, it also includes like a, please watch this video first. It's going to cover all the issues that we found and also cover some of the logistics inside the proposal. And then we'll link out the proposal. As far as your question around, do I charge or not? Like I said, it depends on if they really want super fine detail, like almost enough to pass it on to the next person, right? <laughs> like maybe we're way too expensive for someone, which we don't we don't negotiate on prices. So like when people are, I let them know all the time. You could pay us to give you a detailed list and I'll connect you with someone within your budget. And at least I'll have a full list of like what they need to do based off our expertise. Yeah. So for me, we don't charge because it's actually our lead magnet. And we can actually do them in 15 minutes. Like we don't need a thorough like hours of doing work to do a diagnostic. Yeah, I would say that I'm down to now that I'm doing the loom, it is 15 minutes because I don't have to like write everything out. And yep. I am doing that. like, I'll just look at the, like I said, I'll just look at the balance sheet and be like, mm, why is there no loans here? But I see there, you know, yep. or like, yeah, okay. Yep. Okay. Racing for cleanups. Slack internal. Oh, what, you, in terms of your Slack channels, I don't have any employees yet, but. <laughs> Right we'll now, I just have my, <laughs> I have my Slack channels. I actually use Slack because I find it helpful because it gives me reminders and then I can sort of, whatever. Yeah. So I have a channel for each client and it's linked to the Asana project. So if mm -hmm. I like, it, it just helps me keep everything lined up. But what are the other, like, I, I remember you saying that you have one that's just for month end close, like what other channels? And then I think you said that you have one called like water cooler or something, which would require me to have somebody else in there. <laughs> I mean, you can always have conversations with yourself. I mean, I've done it many, many, many times. If I could only add my dog to my Slack, he would be there in a heartbeat. So helpful channels. The month end channel was actually introduced to me by Brooke. She gave me this idea. We were talking one day and I was like, man, I just want something to like be centralized of where to communicate with the team when we have, they've completed the month end, you know, process. And then the QC person has gone behind and like filled out all the information and for them to communicate back to the bookkeeper, Hey, there's mistakes or Hey, there's not that month end just allows for that conversation to only be around the month end handoff, which is great. So then that we have like a water cooler one, we have a check-in checkout system, which all of these Slack channels, we actually teach inside a breakthrough. I know that's something that's eventually on your list, but we give your, our whole entire setup, like how we use it, the way you should be like communicating with your team. Cause I think a lot of people hate Slack because people do it so terribly. I'm literally in a mastermind where everyone uses Slack, but they don't comment within threads. And it literally drives me insane because then if you don't comment within threads, then everybody gets a notification versus like, if me and you are having a conversation and someone wants to chime in, it won't bother everyone else. And so I if know. we teach how to use it correctly, like Brooke was so resistant to Slack. I remember being like, trust me, girl, like you you're going to want Slack because she used Google Spaces. I was able to convert her. And I was like, the reason why you don't like it is because everybody else is using it wrong. Yeah. And it's do not, like, you have to comment in the threads, people. If you are using Slack, reason why you're probably resistant is that same reason. And so other than that, other channels, what do we use? Pretty much every major process or every major department has a channel. And so that would be like operations, you know, marketing, sales, like in our sales channel, 
we actually have automation set up that when they sign the contract, it sends a Slack message that said the person has signed the contract. Then we get a second notification that says the person paid the first invoice because we really don't start onboarding until they paid the first invoice. I made that mistake. <laughs> Everybody does. So that's why like one of our first steps in our onboarding project says something like one, make sure that the zap went through two. Um, the second step is double check that the contract and the first invoice has been paid. And it comes with a loom video of like how to look for that, which essentially all the assistant does is goes to the Slack channel called sales and sees if it says like, you know, Kate just signed the contract. Kate just paid the first invoice. If they only see one Slack that says Kate signed the contract means that we still don't move forward until we've gotten that second piece. Yeah. When you told me to separate onboarding, it like was such a game changer because what I was mm -hmm. doing is like. While I was waiting for them to pay, I was like, oh, you should send me over like this stuff. And it's like, I'm doing all the work and I haven't gotten paid. And then it's like, and then I don't yep. know what I've asked for. So then yep. when I do the onboarding, I'm having to delete things because I've already asked, like it was such a nightmare. Yeah. Okay. So then like kind of going off of that, well, this is actually, I guess, a little bit separate is like everyone's like niche down, niche down, niche down. And I, mm -hmm. I feel like I started my niche as like working with creatives because that's what I know how to do. But I don't know how to say this nicely, but I find that people in my industry, because it's such a volatile industry, don't necessarily have the money to pay what's worth it for me to do the work. So mm -hmm. I wanted to like branch out a little bit. And like, for example, I got someone who has like a Shopify account that reached out and then I'm like, do I want to spend all this time learning Shopify? Like, yeah. I know that you just talked to the woman from Five Minute Bookkeeping or whatever her name Veronica is. Veronica Wasik. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was like, I'm going to butcher her name. I can't remember. And I started <laughs> watching her videos and she was great, but it was like, it was basically like learning an entirely new thing. And I'm just wondering like, how did you, I think that probably part of the answer is like, you just figure it out as you go. But like, I'm I'm having a little bit of trouble, like sort of figuring out my niche and how to like, just talk to those people. Cause it's, that's who I need to talk to. I don't need to have a million followers. I just need to have the people that are interested in me or yeah. what I offer. Yeah. And like, especially what you do. Well, first thing, always look at the, your profit margin for each client. And the reason I kind of lead with that is because a lot of people are like, I want to, these people, they only want to pay me. Let's just say it's $300 a month or $200 a month for the bookkeeping. Cause they don't make that much. If you're not looking at how much time is being spent or the people that you're hiring to actually do and execute the work and the software you're paying for, if your profit margin for each client isn't at a certain place that you set, whether that's 30%, 40%, 60, 70, whatever that percent is, you have to decide for yourself. If they're profitable, then why does it matter? Um, I know there's a lot of people who are probably listening like, well, yeah, don't you want like 10 high paying clients? Absolutely. Because it's less to kind of manage. But if you're truly over, like profitable, then why not help those micro people? Because when they grow, in my opinion, I yeah. like helping those people because when they grow, we're always going to be there. We are the people who trusted in them and that wanted to support them. And they will grow because we will consult with them to help them move their business forward. And so that's just a fun little tip. But you can also be really successful with only selecting an industry that makes higher, you know, can pay out higher and you have less work, but you're still profitable. Just keep that in mind um, is yeah. the first piece. No, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think we forget about that sometimes. I was just, I had called Brooke this morning because I was like, yeah, I'm going through my like profitability per client. We're at like 86% profitability. Like, Oh, that's high. good. I think I'm at like six, like that's so high. But it's really high right now just because of the way that we kind of have something structured, but I'm sure it's going to lower. But I have like in my mind, a certain percentage that I'm not going to go anything less than. And when we do, that probably means we need to do a price increase or we need to analyze how much work is the team performing. But mind you, 
my consulting fee that we add on to the, you know, like there's like monthly bookkeeping and then adding on consulting. Uh, yeah. The consulting fee is 250. And right now it might be me playing that role because I am the consultant right now in the company, in my firm. But when we hire another account manager, who's going to take that over, that fee is going to be the same because they're going to be trained by me with the years of expertise that I have to support the niche that I'm in. And so a lot of people are like, oh yeah, my consulting fee is only the one hour's fee. I'm like, I don't care if it's only one hour I'm spending. I have so many years of business experience. I'm going to charge them X. Yeah. So that's why a lot of our clients are consulting clients. So we're highly profitable because like really the time we spend is not as high, but as another account manager comes in, that profit margin percentage will actually come down. And what do you do? Like if for, for your consultations, what do you consult just on? Consulting, just business strategy, probably half the time. <laughs> think of it like this conversation right now. It's like, just what do you need? Because I think a lot of times people expect these consulting calls to just be what I used to do back in the day. And I made this mistake and I really wish I would have not listened to the person who told me this. Everyone told me that I always needed to have like an availability for a call every month with the client. Like, yeah, and that's, that's what I have. Yeah. And that that's just something that you should do and that it should always be included because I think a lot of people are thinking in their mind, consulting is something different than reading a report, right? On a call with them. And so for me, I think I just finally told myself like people, if they're going to get either myself or a team member on a call for an hour straight, it's what it needs to be paid for us to get on the call. We don't, however, take action. So I'll kind of explain what that means. If you notice the way that you're talking to me right now, we're having these conversations, you've got a lot more action items than I probably do. I have zero. Yeah. And so that is consulting where I'm giving you like some insight, some feedback, some maybe some strategy and some here and there. Now, however, if you were to come back and say, hey, Alyssa, that thing that you talked about with Slack, can you actually go implement that for me? It's like, yeah, we could do that outside of that. We'll send you a proposal and we'll make sure to get that over to you. And we're more than happy to do it for you. So the same thing goes for my firm. If we're on this call and I'm giving you tips and, and you know, maybe your invoice, average invoice rate has been going down and we're a little bit concerned about it and I bring it up and I'll be like, hey, I think here's some tips. Maybe you can turn into VIP days where you can charge like five grand for one day. You can work less. You get this like pretty much business strategy. If they're like, hey, let's build this out. That's a terrible example because we would never build them out. But if in the case that we did, yeah. then that would be us saying like, yeah, cool, we'll do that. But we'll send you a proposal. We'll send you a fee. So cash flow projections, budgeting, you know, invoicing, whatever that looks like when they need us to take action, it's actually charged outside the consulting fee. So it's basically like anything they want to talk about, like kind of outside the scope of work, then you can charge a consultation fee. And then beyond that, if they want action, then that's a new proposal. Pretty much. So I'll give you a really great example. I have, I don't know, I just have so many years of experience that like I get excited about business strategy, but I also know why when a lot of people who are listening maybe don't have that confidence or maybe aren't there yet. So people get on these like consults and they think the only thing that they need to do is go over the PL and the balance sheet. Half the time the client doesn't know what you're talking about. They don't know what profit margins are. They don't understand these things. They just want to know what the action they need to take to fix whatever the issue is or whatever you're covering. And so like during those calls, we're like, look, you have a really unhealthy like spending habit. We really highly recommend that you budget. I can give you some tips right now, like good ways that you can do that. Um, but another option too, and this is not, we're just being very, we're very being very heartfelt and very straightforward about wanting to help. And we say, we also offer that for our clients. It's just going to cost you a little bit for us to maintain it, to build it and to do X, Y, Z. I'm sure you can do it on your own, but just so you know, like it is here for you if you need that support. So that's kind of what it is. So business strategy, I mean, they have conversations around like, Hey, you know, we're redoing our Dubsado contracts and do you have a connection for a lawyer? Absolutely. Let me grab my Rolodex, my virtual Rolodex, of course, <laughs> and I'll go pull the information. Here's Lindsay Shea. We've got a 10% off code for you that you can use. So we're like either the connectors 
like I've introduced our, our clients to financial advisors, to business evaluators, like whoever they need to support them if it's not us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So then when you, because I do have a, like I look at the profitability. I mean, mine is very high right now because I don't have that many. I just don't have that many costs. I have, you know, yep. Zenit and my anchor fees. That's basically it. But uh, I am using, I'm tracking time. Like you told yep. me to, I still don't know exactly what I'm doing with it, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not putting that into the profitability report. I guess I should be right. Like you what shouldn't. is my- not for oh. you. You don't count. I know that it's okay. like, but we all matter. Yes. Our moms all told us that we're all special and I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean is you are, you get to control if you decided to fire everybody right now and just right. go solo and everything, right? Even if you're a W-2 employee of your own company, like you still don't count because you get that control. So your team members, the only part that's affecting your profitability is your direct cost directly related to delivering on that service for that specific client. So we run a PL by client and we do every single cost like QBO, I'm sorry, yeah, QuickBooks, Xenex and HubDoc. We all have like a journal entry that we use every single month that when we onboard a new client, we add to the journal entry that new client, how much it's going to cost us. And that way it allocates all of the software subscription across all the clients. Smart. I'm doing yeah. this. I'm allocating it every month in the expense. Yep. You can always just do a journal entry. We just don't like, it's not recurring automatically. It's one of those ones that you have to select the use button because yeah. if I sign a client today, like we just did, I'm going to have to go into like whenever, like in the onboarding, there's a step that says update the recurring transactions for any of the software that we pay for. And then what we do is we do an allocation per pay period of each team member and we, may, we mark their tasks or their clockify entry as billable with their rates. And so we pull a report, which Brooke just was literally going over this with me yesterday, which was super cool. And we just pull a report and we put in a journal entry. We use Write Tool, which makes it easy to copy. Oh, so I love Excel. Write Tool so much. Love Write Tool. So now what we're doing is we're doing the profitability percent, profit percentage, a profit margin percentage per client running through the profit and loss um, by like client that. report. Yeah. And then all I do is take that data and we have like a separate spreadsheet, which is like one of the KPIs that we give inside of uh, Breakthrough. And it's like the spreadsheet that essentially says each client's name, bookkeeper's name. And then we look at the overall profitability on that client. Okay. Oh, so many ideas. <laughs> These are like this, this piece of paper I've been writing on is, I don't know, you can't see that, but it's just like a complete disaster because I've just been like... <laughs> All over the place. I, I had a follow-up question to what you just said, but now I forgot. Prop oh yeah, so my hours don't count, right? Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's only when I hire someone, and that's why your profit margin is so high right now. So that's why, like, you oh, yeah. you know what? You were part of the boot camp. In the boot camp, we gave that profitability and our profit analysis calculator. Do you mm -hmm. remember that tool that we gave you? Yeah, I recommend going back to that because in that little piece, so. Uh, I know there's like a, there's a left side, which is like, what are you currently making? What are you currently charging people without you having a team? Then the right side is something along the lines of how much do you still want to take home, but how much are you going to probably project that you're going to pay a new employee on top of like, what are you bringing in from your client and any overhead, whatever it will actually calculate down to the T of how much money you actually need to bring in on, on a recurring basis to afford that new team member. So like, those are great resources to be using. Like we now put that inside a breakthrough because we thought it was a great idea from the bootcamp. Uh, we just added it like last week. And so we always just encourage people like use something like a calculator to be able to say like, right now, this is where I'm at. And yeah, your profit margin's great. But if you truly want to grow, that profit margin might go from 80% to 50% when you just hire someone. Yeah, and it, it would. Yeah. Yep. 
And that, and I mean, that's why when we price from the beginning, we all listen to a guru or these people who you are at the beginning stages. Cause we all go into these inner, you know, entry level programs where we learn how to price without the idea in mind of like a future growth or future P members that are going to be able to support you. And I think this is where those programs fail to really introduce to you. Like, but if you ever want to hire or you ever want to bring on other people, you will have to increase your fee. And when there's black and white data like that, it makes your life so much easier to be able to look back and say, I don't have a choice. It's not about emotions anymore. It's about if I want to survive and have this team, it's either my time or someone else's time or my time or my money. And to yeah. me, I would rather let go of money than my time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Same. Cause like I said, yeah. I got little kids right now. Okay. So for me, this is sort of selfish, but for me personally, you think the best thing for me to do is do kickoff with Asana. And then as I grow, do breakthrough. I think it depends because you've talked a lot of the things that you talked about sounded like a lot of the theories we already teach inside of kickoff with Asana. So I'm wondering, do you actually even need it? I think how I talk to people and you know, you know, this, when we did our consulting call for breakthrough in yeah. the summer, I always like to ask like, what's your bottleneck? It doesn't sound to me that Asana is your bottleneck. No, it the bottleneck like is so yeah, many the, things. Yeah. Know, it, it sounds like a bunch. It's a bunch of things. And like, I'm just, I'm terrified to hire. Cause I just, I've never been a manager before. I mean, I've been a producer on film sets, which you're managing all the department heads. I've done all that. Yeah. Not that much different, but I, I don't have the SOPs and I have this thing of like, oh, I was going to do one a month, but I'm just like totally overwhelmed by it. So yeah. Yeah. I have I, a question about that real quick yeah. about your SOPs. Yeah. Um, why is it so overwhelming to even do one a month? Like, it's okay if it's just, you can be super honest. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I think that. it's overwhelming because I don't have them set quite yet. I'm still like evolving so much, you know, at the beginning, like you try something and then you switch software, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. and so because things aren't like set in stone, I don't want to set them up because I like, like, you know, I was using Dubsado and then I switched to Anchor and like, so things are yeah. changing. I do feel like it's starting to level out a little bit. And so I probably could start doing that. Yeah. Your processes, I can tell you like your ERSOPs because the process is like the high level onboarding cleanup. Those are processes, right? But the SOPs are meant to be the tiny chunks of the things that you're doing. I would avoid trying to set up SOPs for things like Anchor. Like think about it. How soon do you really think that someone on your team will take over the sales process? It's probably not in the near future. Your probably most desired need right now is going to be either an assistant or a bookkeeper. In Absolutely. my opinion. And that's based yep. off your time tracking data. That's going to help you to analyze it, to understand it. The reason I say that is because I think a lot of people are really tripped up on, I have to do it for all the things I do. Do yeah. it as the priority of the things that you would like to outsource first. So maybe that might be um, like, don't try to do 15 SOPs in one. And I think that's why people get overwhelmed. Pick one thing, like how to match payments inside of zero or QBO or whatever, something as simple as that. How to transfer things inside of QBO. Like I had to explain that to my team the other day, just because a client pays themselves through Zelle out to their business account does not can't, uh, count as a transfer inside a QBO. In your mind, it's a transfer, but not in QBO's language. That's just an expense, yep. but an expense to the draw, obviously. But little things like that. So like create the videos, create the resources, create the SOPs that are specific to those little tiny things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know you have to go, but I just want to do one little pitch for you because okay. I just, first of all, this was so nice of you to do because we like just met and you're just follow her. She's amazing. But the other thing is that I, I did the free book. What was it called? The free power to break through bootcamp. That one. Mm -hmm. I have taken so many free courses where I walked away and I was like, I can't get that hour back. I got nothing from it. 
you gave away so much in that (laughs) that I like I can't for anyone listening like I just can't even tell you how much I walked away with like yeah completely and it was free like if you're thinking about taking one of our courses do it like it's yeah 100% 100% worth it. That's totally, totally. And she did it's... not prompt me to say that, just so you know. <laughs> I did not, just so everyone knows. Yeah, she did not prompt me to say that. And like, yeah, I, I just like, thank you so much. This has been incredibly helpful for me. Yes, you're so welcome. And thank you for being here. And thank you for being the first for me to have you ask me questions, which has been really fun. I do have to go, as you know, I'm going to be on someone else's podcast today. So please feel free to let people know where can they get immersed in your world, how they can connect with you and all the fun things. I'm Blix Bookkeeping everywhere. So BlixBookkeeping.com. You can find me on Instagram, Blix Bookkeeping. Yeah, you can DM me on, I'm on Facebook, but like, I'm not, let's be honest. But like, I'm on there because I should be, but like, I'm not. Yeah. I don't know. I'm too young to be on there. Okay. I get uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Instagram is the best place to find me or support at BlixBookkeeping.com. Yay. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I greatly appreciate you. And for anyone listening, if you have any follow-up questions, please feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to answer. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of our Conquering Workflows and Systems for Bookkeepers and Accountants podcast with your host, Alyssa Lang, the founder and owner of Workflow Queen. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share this episode with a fellow bookkeeper or an accountant on social media, and also tag me on Instagram at Workflow Queen. The more that we work together to get this out in front of other people, the better I can help to serve this industry to create more solid systems and processes. Now go take what you learned from today's episode and apply it into your practice so you can finally give yourself the brain space and freedom that you deserve. I can't wait to see you unfold throughout your journey. And thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode. See you next time.